0: Coming to you, live from Canada, here comes your game-changing, life-transforming, turning-point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at EngageChurch.ca So, um, if you have a Bible, if you flip to Romans chapter 7, and um, I want to kind of pick up from what some of Pastor Brett was speaking the last few weeks. He was talking about taking off our brave face. And showing our game face, which just means taking off the face that we show everyone and allowing who we are um, and with, with Jesus' help to show. And so, um, I don't even know why I turned on my iPad. This is the first time, and it was a mistake. So, Romans chapter 7. Verse 21. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. I just want to pray quick. God, we just thank you for who you are, God, and what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that, that you gave us a solution to the unanswerable question, God, that we know that Jesus gives us the ability to move forward into what you're calling us to. Lord, we just pray that today you'd speak to our hearts and our minds, that we would know who you are and we'd know who, who we are in relationship with, with you. God, we love you so much and we honor you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when we read Romans uh, chapter 7, 21, and all the way up to what I just read, what that's kind of an example of is that's an example of a law. Or another way to put law is almost like a resolution. So I'm sure many of us have, have made a New Year's resolution, whether that's like losing weight or not eating cookies or not eating chocolate. Um, some of my family members uh, always do these things where they don't eat chocolate and chips for like two months. And I'm like, that sounds like two months with no fun. So I never joined them. Um, but this week I was, uh, I was, we were at home, uh, with my, my parents and my brother, my brother was there and he wasn't eating any of the pasta. And so we were like, Phil, like what's going on? And now if anyone's met my brother, he you know, you know that he's like, just like jacked. Okay. He's like Perfect shape. He's always been in good shape. When he was like 15, his main source of food was bananas because it was just so healthy. Um, He's just one of those guys who just goes to the gym all the time and just wants to take care of his body. And so, he's already in like great shape. Like, most of us would like to eventually get to the point he's at for one day and then we just give up and backslide and be exactly like we are now. Um, Not saying that, when I say we, I mean me. Anyways, um... And so we were, we were having dinner, and I asked my brother, like, why are you not eating the pasta? And he said, well, I decided to go on, like, the keto diet. And I was like, what the heck? Like, what is wrong with you? And he was like, well, yeah, like, I just think it's, like, a good decision. And I was like, why do you need to go on the keto diet? Like, you're already destroying all of us, and this is making me feel worse about myself. And he was like, well, you know, I just, I gained, like, 12 pounds, and so, like, I really need to lose that weight. And I'm like, 12? Where is it? Like, I don't see 12 pounds. Like, that's ridiculous. And so pretty much what I'm saying is that there's all, all of us have standards in our life. There's always a law or a requirement or a moral standard, all these things that we're trying to attain to. What my body's trying to attain to is what my older brother's body looks like, but don't ever tell him that if he comes here. Um... But we all have these things that we're trying to reach. We have these goals and we have these these laws and these standards. And what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is that there's a standard. The the standard that was in the Bible that that God spoke to Moses when Moses went up the mountain. That's the standard that we're trying to reach. And and for some of us, we don't even believe in that standard. Maybe we have our own standard. Maybe we um, have a different standard. And so um, when I was younger, when I was about 20 years old... Um, I was living at my parents' house and for any of the 20-year-olds who are here, uh, who live at their parents' house, they know that they don't actually live at their parents' house. They actually live in their bedroom and their bedroom only. Because as soon as you get out of your bedroom and you go to the living room to do something, you know, just want to enjoy some sunlight or something, you know your parents are going to ask you to do something and you don't want to do it. You just don't want to deal with that. You're an adult. You want to have your own space. You want to do your own thing. Don't tell me how to live my life, but please give me free rent and free food. That's what it's like to be a 20-year-old. So I was in that situation, and I, you know, I was, I was in my room, and when you're 20, you're also, like, desperately trying to figure out what to do with your life. Uh, here's a little secret. You are never going to find out, so it's fine. Um, and no one will. Um, we just take one step at a time. But, so I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, and I was just praying. I was like, God, what am I supposed to do? And I just, like, felt like, okay, I need to go, I need to go pray. And so if you grew up in the church at all or you, you know, you've heard anything with church, you might have heard of this thing called a prayer closet. And so what a prayer closet is, is a place where you can go and you can just have no distractions and you can spend time praying to God. And so I didn't have a prayer closet because I just had my, my, bre- my bedroom and that's it. So I needed to find a prayer closet. So one thing I did have also was a 1994 Toyota Camry. Uh, great car. I would highly recommend it. I would go back and buy it again if I could. Um, and I decided that I was going to go for a little drive and just spend some time praying, seeking direction for my life. And so I hop in my car and I'm like cruising down the road and like, you know, like pretty much the most innocent person ever, right? Like I'm not doing anything wrong. In fact, I'm actually praying right now, like the most straight edge thing you could possibly think of doing. And, um, and so I'm just like cruising and, and, you know, following the speed limits and everything. And all of a sudden I look behind me and there's Two police cars that are like rushing up to me with their lights on, and I'm like, oh boy, like this is this is not a good situation. I got to pull over because they're clearly going to get a bad guy right now, and I don't want to be in their way. So I pull over, and next thing I know, one of the cop cars is like aggressively angle parking in front of me, like you know the angle park, like you're not allowed going anywhere kind of thing. And the other guy like stop stalk- goes behind me and like blocks me, and I'm like, what is going on? Like I was just praying, like. This is, this is like, this, this isn't cool. And so, so I'm sitting in my car and I'm just like so confused as to why these cops are pulling me over. And then like four cops get out of the, the two cars and I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is aggressive. And there's one cop who's got like, it makes no sense because it was the middle of the afternoon, like bright sunny. He's got like a flashlight. <laughs> and he comes up to the back of my car, he's like looking in the back of my car. I'm like, why do you need a flashlight, bro? Like, I'm not doing anything wrong. And so, you know, I'm, I'm getting, like, a little nervous here, and I'm like, okay, well, when the police pull you over, they always ask for your license and registration. So I was like, I'll just, like, get ahead of the, get ahead of the curve here, and I'll grab my wallet uh, with my license, and then I'll, I'll go into the glove box, and I'll grab my registration. Well, I don't think cops really like seeing someone's hand go to the glove box right as they're approaching with a flashlight in the back. So looking back on that now, uh, I would not have done the same thing. And... Um, and so these cops are, like, approaching me like I'm, like, a suspect, an armed suspect. And I'm just like, this, this is crazy. Like, I, I was so innocent. And, um, <laughs> and so they finally get up to me. And the cop, like, you know, does the power move where he, like, taps on the window with his uh, flashlight. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. But also, I'm not a bad guy. And so I roll down the window. And he's like, what's that in your hand? And I was like, my license and registration. And he's like, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm just praying. And he's like, praying on who? (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 P-R-A-Y, P-R-A-Y. And I was like, this is the most unfortunate circumstance ever because like, honestly, they they probably thought I was such a bad guy. Anyways, you know, we had a nice chat. Turns out they thought that my shirt was covered in blood so they pulled me over. I guess they were just pulling everyone over with red shirts on that day. Um, but But what happened is that, what must have happened is that there must have been someone who had done something that day who had a shirt with blood on it and they were taking all the precautions they possibly could. They were on high alert. Their standard had gone from normal, okay, hey, that guy's just got a red shirt to, there's blood on that guy's shirt. They were taking every precaution necessary, even, you know, pulling out a flashlight. Um... And so sometimes that's how we feel in our life. We feel like there's these standards in our life that are just ramping up to 10 and we don't feel like we can ever attain the standard. So what happens when, when, these, when, this, when the moral standard or, or the laws that we see in the Bible or you know, whatever, whatever your standard might be, what happens if that ramps up to 10 and you fail? What happens if you're found guilty because you didn't meet the standard? Well, today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about shame that can so easily come into our lives and control us and make us believe that we can't take the next step, that we can't become more like God every single day. So Romans 7.21 says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I think a lot of us live our day-to-day lives feeling exactly like that. The writer of this book is the Apostle Paul, and and he goes through all all of Romans. The first part of Romans is all about the law and how we aren't good enough to even make the law. The law isn't a bad thing, but we just can't get there. And what shame does is it says that we're not good enough. So shame, the definition is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. So what Paul's saying here is, I can't do it. I'm not making it. I'm not cutting. I'm not making the standard here. And you know what? He's not even necessarily just talking about the law of the Bible. But he might be talking about a moral standard that he set in his own life. There's a lot of us who, who live by a moral standard and we might feel like we're not cutting it. In other words, what Paul was saying is, I know what I should be doing, but I don't do it. What am I supposed to do? Someone please help me. So the first point today is, before we came into relationship with Christ, we were bound by the law. So why were we bound by the law? Well, it all started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and it says that they had a relationship with God, that God walked with them in the cool of the night. And really, they didn't have any rules or laws. They just had one thing that God asked them not to do. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened was that rather than following the one rule that they had, sin came, the enemy came, and it twisted the one rule. And rather than making it something that it was supposed to be, something to protect them, the enemy made it something that lured them, something that caused them to stumble, something that cast them out of the Garden of Eden. So when I was, uh, when I was like 15 or 16, uh, I was in a band uh, as well. I know Pastor Brett always talks about how he was in an award-winning band. Um, I was not in an award-winning band. I was uh, in a non-award-winning band. But uh, I probably had an effect on a few people's life, I'm hoping. Otherwise, it was a lot of time spent uh, for nothing. Um, but when we were when we were younger, um, we actually spent we had two bass players in our band, which is a terrible idea. If you're like 13 and starting a band, don't have two bass players. Um, just get someone to lend you an acoustic guitar until you can afford it. And uh, and so we were in this band, and every single week for a year straight, we practiced one song in order to get it down. And we finally got it down. We killed it. It was great. One way. It's uh, it starts with a solid drum beat. Do, do, kick, do, do, kick, do, kick, Anyone heard that one before? No? Yeah. yeah, okay, okay. So uh so that's that's the song we spent a year learning, and that drumbeat still to this day haunts me uh, at night. <laughs> and but we would have a band practice sometimes in my parents' basement. And one thing you'll know if you ever go to my parents' house is that they have like this like apocalypse room full of food. Like full of food, like cookies and chips and crackers and like preserves like you know jam and all kinds of things like all your favorite like peanut butter like all the things that you just want to snack on all the time there's even a freezer down there with ice cream like please um and so you know my mom knew obviously that I had a great temptation to go down there and eat all the food at all times so there was a rule that we would not be allowed to eat anything from the storage room but when my friends came over it was actually allowed for them to eat stuff from the storage room but I never told them that. I told them that there was a strict rule in our house that if you ate from the storage room, you were in big trouble. Because I don't want them to be able to have something that I can't even have. Like, come on, man. And so, so one band practice, we were down there in the basement. And I had to go upstairs. Uh, I don't know what, I had to do something upstairs. And I told my friends, I reminded my friends, you're not allowed eating any food in the storage room. And of course, 15 and 16 year old friends are gonna do whatever they want to do and completely ignore you. And so they run into the storage room as soon as I go upstairs, and they just start like chowing down on chips and all kinds of stuff. And when I came downstairs, I caught them red-handed eating those like stick pretzels, which also, I mean, if you're gonna do like a crime, why would you choose stick pretzels? That's a terrible decision. Um, But that's just an aside. So I catch them eating these stick pretzels, and I'm just like, are you kidding me, guys? I told you not to eat the pretzels. And once again, when you're 15 or 16, like I was a year older than all my friends back then, so like you know, I was in control of the disciplining as well. Um, but when you're 16, you kind of have a little bit of a skewed idea of what discipline actually looks like. And so uh, what I ended up doing is that I grabbed my friend Brennan, and I like, grabbed him like this, and I grabbed one of the pretzel sticks that he was eating, and I took it, and I stuck it up his nose. And, you know... I got a little out of hand, and I stuck it a little bit too far so that when I pulled it out of his nose, it was just pouring blood all over the floor. <laughs> and so, you know, I think about that story, and I just think, you know what, Brennan, he, he had that coming. He didn't meet the standard that was required, and so there was consequences to it, right? We can all understand that. It wasn't my fault. But, but we all live we all live in a place where there's standards that we just can't meet. And whether there's an actual consequence in the real world or we just feel so much shame or guilt, it affects us every single day. And sometimes people will say, oh, I didn't grow up in the church. You know, my parents were pretty, like, you know, free-spirited. I didn't have many rules. So there's no such thing as a law. There's no such thing as a moral standard. Well, Paul actually talks about this earlier on in Romans. In Romans 2, he talks about this and he says... Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know this law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. That the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. See, it doesn't matter whether we grew up in the church or not. Every single one of us has some sort of moral standard that we're trying to get to even if you feel like you don't have a moral standard, we all have seen what happens on social media when someone, you know, someone assumes something about someone else and then they just put it on social media. It's a public shaming thing. And it's almost like there is, uh, people are getting convicted of stuff before there's even a trial, before anything's happening because of this public shame, this standard that the world has set out there. So we all live under a standard. But the problem is that because we all live under a standard... Most of us can't attain that standard, and even if we do attain the standard we're trying to get to, there's always going to be a greater moral standard. There's always going to be someone who's better than us. There's always going to be more that we could do, and we fall short. So what do we do? Well, Paul says here, what a miserable man I am, because I can't do what I want to do. C.S. Lewis writes, To what will you look for help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? So my second point today is, while we were still sinners, Christ redeemed us from the law. See, we have no answer in ourselves to reach these moral standards. But through Jesus Christ, we have an answer, and He is our standard. It's not about moral standards. It's not about the law. It's about Jesus. It's about a relationship with Him. If we read Romans 7.25, it says, Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind? I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. See, and Jesus met us not after we had done the right things. Not after we had reached a certain point. You know, we get to level 10 and then God can meet us and then we can go up to level 20. No. God met us when we were at level negative 100 because he reaches us exactly where we're at. In fact, in Romans Romans 5, 8 to 12... when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. You see, whether we believe that when Adam sinned that we all have original sin or, or not, every single one of us has fallen short at some point in our lives. Every single one of us has a standard. What this scripture says is it doesn't matter if you believe in, in what scripture says. It doesn't matter if you believe in a higher standard, there is always a standard in the world. And whether we like it or not, we're trying to reach that standard. See, the only way to move past living in shame and letting sin rule is to begin living in the Spirit. In In chapter 8 of Romans, the Spirit's actually mentioned 21 times. It's the most times that it's mentioned in the whole New Testament in one chapter. And I thought about it, and I was I was thinking, why? You know, why is it mentioned so many times In chapter 8 and and it's because chapter 8 is the answer to the question that Paul has been building up to all the previous chapters he's building up he's talking about the law he's talking about you know I can't do it like you know the Israelites tried to follow the law and they failed and and you know Adam and Eve failed and and every single person failed and I failed so what do I do how do I reach this thing that I know I'm supposed to get to and then he pulls out the Holy Spirit 21 times in that chapter, because the Holy Spirit is who we constantly need to be going back to. It's not just one time, it's not just two times, it's not just three times, it's not just four times, it's every single time, every single day, when we feel like we're not cutting it, we need to go to the Holy Spirit and ask Him for guidance and direction in our lives. So, a few weeks ago, um, this guy that was like, this guy that I knew when I was growing up, he wrote a book and then randomly emailed me one chapter of it the other day. So I was like, "Oh, I guess I got to read it. So uh, I read the, I, honestly, I skimmed it. I didn't read the whole thing. But I read, I skimmed it. And when I was skimming it, one of the things I saw was um, that we should really be spending more time with God on like, on a day-to-day basis. Just like on, in the random times, right? Not, not like, oh, I'm just going to go pray for half an hour. But like, hey, I'm just walking to the mall or something. And so I should spend some time praying to God. So I decided, uh, I was actually at the mall. Um, I was buying Haley some chocolates because I'm the greatest husband ever. Um, actually, it was the first time I ever bought her chocolates, so that's pretty awkward. Um, but she did like them. So, so I was walking through the mall, and, and I had these, uh, I just had this moment of realization where I was like, oh, you know what, I need to spend some time with God. And so I just like, I prayed, but every single time, I ask God what he wants to tell me. I always feel like he says the same thing. And I I feel like it's kind of wrong because what I hear him say every single time is, Seb, I love you. And now for me, it kind of feels like that's kind of egotistical, right? Like I'm talking to the creator of the universe and I'm asking him what he wants to say and what he says is, God, I love you every single time. And I'm like, no, okay, God, like, I want you to tell me what you actually think. I want you to tell me that I need to go to the other chocolate shop because this chocolate shop is not cutting it as a husband. I want you to tell me that I didn't do well enough and I need to do better in this area. I want you to tell me this, this, and this. I want you to give me clear direction about the next task that I'm supposed to do so that I can reach the next level. And so I told him all this, and and I said, God, would you speak to me? Would you tell me something? And I so clearly... I remember him saying to me he said Seb I love you so much more than anyone could ever love you and I hate your sin so much more than you could ever hate it and when I heard him say that it changed my, compl- my whole perspective on life it changed everything that I understood because he didn't say Seb you sinned the other day and you need to get better at that sin before I'm going to talk to you he said Seb I love you and I hate your sin at the same time. I love you, and I hate your sin. I love you, and I hate your sin. And when you're in that balance, understanding that God, that Jesus loves you despite your sin, despite your brokenness, despite all these things that you can't overcome, it changes everything because you can go from a place of trying to make Jesus love you to a place of understanding that Jesus loves you already and that he desires you to be better than you are. He desires my, my greatest aspirations, my greatest moral standards that I can come to on my own ideas aren't even close to what his moral standards are, but he still loves me. So he wants me to be better than I am, more than I do, but he still loves me. And if I'm in that place understanding that his love is what compels me, his grace is what compels me to go forward, I won't live in the condemnation that I could be living in before. I don't have to try to reach this crazy moral standard because God is on my side and he's partnering with me to reach his moral standard. And so the third point today is now there's no condemnation from the law. So we're no longer condemned from the law. We can feel like like that first verse that I read where it's, Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm not reaching the goal. But now there is no condemnation from the law. Jesus is the only one who can bring freedom and wholeness to our lives. Romans 8, 1-7 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's law. And it never will. See, if we understand that, if we understand that no matter how much we try to reach this standard, no matter how much we try to reach this law, no matter how much we... We try to be as good as we possibly can be. We're always going to fall short. We're always going to fall. If I look in myself, I don't find enough. I don't find enough to reach the things that I want to. But when we look to Jesus, the one who has already done it for us, the one who's already died for us, we can walk out in the freedom that he has for us. We don't need to be bound by, by shame and by sin, by condemnation anymore. You know, Pastor Brett's series was talking about taking your brave face off and putting on your game face. And like I said at the start, you know, we can hear a sermon like that. And Pastor Brett, like, he gave us all the right things to do. He said, we need to be turning to God. But we can leave a sermon series like that thinking, man, I'm not good enough. I didn't do good enough. I need to take my mask off. But the reality is, just like Pastor Brett was saying, is that we need to partner with God in order to take those masks off. We need to partner with God in order to overcome the shame. And as soon as we understand our right standing with Christ, that that we are already redeemed, that we're already set apart as his sons and daughters, then we can walk forward in the life that he's given us. We can walk forward not having to, to worry about shame, not having to worry about, you know, I didn't make it. Rather, when we don't make it, we can understand that we can always turn back to God and that his grace is so big and so wide and so good that no matter what I do, his grace is still there, picking me back up and saying, Seb, I love you more than anyone could ever love you. And Seb, I'm going to work on this sin that we both hate. And so today, why don't we just all stand up? I want to read Romans eight twelve to 14. It says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Today, I don't want to have a call to action of, you know, what sin do you want to lay down or or what are the things that you're struggling with that you want to overcome. I want us to do exactly what I talked about today. And Rather than focusing on the things that we can do, I want us to focus on God. Focus on the Holy Spirit. Focus on the one who can actually bring change. Because maybe you can bring change today. Maybe you can bring change tomorrow. But eventually you'll come to the end of yourself. And the only one who can bring change is Jesus Christ. So as we sing this song, the lyrics are actually so so perfect for for what we're talking about today. Um, But just let's focus on the Holy Spirit. Let's focus on what God has done for us. And as we give him our whole lives, he'll begin to make something beautiful out of it. You've been listening to The Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out EngageChurch.ca.